it's time for school days. Hope for moms and dads of school-age kids. I tell parents, you're like a training wheel on a bike. Your job isn't to make the bike move. Your job is to keep the bike upright. Those of us who are the true educators, we really want to be given the opportunity to educate the whole child. We can get free college degrees based on all of the opportunities that are out here and available to our students. Oftentimes, as parents, I think we want to protect our kids, but I think one of the greatest gifts we can give them is allowing them to experience adversity. Yeah. Here's your host, Danita Bailey. Well, welcome to School Days, Help for Moms and Dads of School-Aged Kids. I'm Danita Bailey. Children who are fostered and adopted often face challenges that impact academics. Frequent school transfers, emotional instability, and effects of trauma are some of the factors that make focusing on learning difficult. Foster parents, parents who adopt, and the schools that educate them must be sensitive to the unique circumstances that this group of kids possess in order to help them succeed. I spoke to my friend Ginger, who has fostered and adopted three children. A conversation with her was actually the reason I decided to do a show on this topic. She reached out to me to inquire about tutoring for one of the boys that is struggling and shared their journey learning to meet their boys' needs academically. Let's hear what she has to say. One of our main uh, issues with educating our children has been um, just making sure that we are there constantly advocating for them, just for testing, for learning disabilities, or um, just partnering with the teacher and making sure that they have everything that they need to be successful. So our oldest son was adopted through foster care just recently and he has been shifted around a lot from home to home and he had a, a pretty bad accident. Um, the trauma has um, taken a toll on his brain. Um, we weren't sure where he was ac academically and it has been a tough transition trying to figure out where all he has been working with the school system to try to figure out where he's going to be at academically and how we can best help him, what services he's going to need, and all of those kind of things has been a challenge. Before we go any further, let me just say it does take a village. If you hear a great parenting tip or nugget of advice, share that with your parents' friends, with your parent friends. Facebook it, Instagram it, tweet it, link it in, and add the hashtag School Days Show and hashtag I Am School Days. And also, we want you to be a part of the show. So although we're not live today on uh, Fishbowl Radio Network, we can't take any calls. However, you can find us on uh, live on our Facebook, Facebook page at Noggin Foundation. That's N-O-G-G-I-N, and you can drop us a question there. So without further ado, let me introduce our guests for today. So Norma Eves uh, is the Regional Education Specialist uh, for the Child Protective Services System. She works on advocating uh, the educational needs of children. This includes consultation with caseworkers, attending school meetings, conducting trainings related to education advocacy, collaborating with schools, the TEA, that's the Texas Education Ad Agency, um, education service centers and other community stakeholders. She has over 30 years of experience working in the human services field in both private and public agencies. 
And uh, this includes work with child welfare, child protective services in Oklahoma and Texas, as well as monitoring and, and investigation of licensed child care providers and residential child care providers. She holds a BS from Oklahoma State University and an MSW from the University of Texas at Arlington. So welcome. Thank you. Thanks so much for being here. And Lori Pollard, is the Associate Director for Behavioral Health Program at CK Family Services. The agency provides skills streaming behavioral interventions for children and their families. Lori graduated from the University of Texas at Austin with a BA and then attended the Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary with a Master's in Marriage and Family Counseling and a Master's in Religious Education. Lori has been in the mental health field for 29 years. That's a long time. <laughs> um, she, yes, she's been a supervisor for various programs that address issues and concerns for children and adolescents along with their families for the past 16 years. She has been a licensed professional counselor and licensed marriage and family therapist for the last 27 years. So thank you guys so much for joining us. Happy to be here. Yes. So let's just jump right in. So many of us are unfamiliar with the foster care system, so can you just tell me kind of some of the reasons why kids end up in the system? You want me to take that one? Sure. Okay. <laughs> um, well, basically, it's, it basically starts with um, kind of an investigation into a home uh, to determine if the child's needs are being met and how safe they are. Mm -hmm. And so um, if they determine that maybe it's not the best environment at that moment, you know, if they feel like there's a safety issue, so there might be some neglect, there might be some exposure to drugs, things like that, something they shouldn't be around, some type of abuse, then they will make a determination at that time if the children need to be removed at that moment. Mm -hmm. um, they usually try to um, look for relatives first to see if any of the relatives will take them for temporary because they, you know, the research has showed that, you know, children do better when they're with relatives in the bio family, yes. Um, and so if that doesn't work, then um, there is the foster care system. And so at that moment, they basically will f see if they can find a home for the child may go. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So my dad actually was in the foster care system mm -hmm. when he was, uh, I think, 10. He was in elementary school. So I called him last night to find out kind of mm -hmm. what that looked like for him. So what kind of paint a picture of what um, the situation might be for a child in foster care? You want me to? Yeah. Okay. Well, there could be a number of different settings, and maybe this will answer your question. Um, a child could be placed in a kinship home, which would mean, just like Lori said, it's a relative or what we call a fictive kin, means they have a substantial relationship with the child or the family, mm -hmm. although they're not blood-related, um, who would be willing to take the child. That's one out-of-home placement. Of course, a foster home is a licensed home that takes in children. I believe the number is six or under for a regular foster home in Texas. Then there is emergency shelters, which is a short-term 90-day limit uh, placement while looking for a home. And then there are what we call residential treatment centers, which are for children who need a higher level of therapeutic services mm -hmm. than a home could provide. 
And how long, what's the average stay for a child? I don't think we know of the average stay, mm -hmm. but our goal uh, policy-wise is 12 months or less. Now that does uh, sometimes go over that for a variety of reasons. It could be the judge court orders something. It could be the parents are still working on their plan. So there could be a delay in termination of parental rights so that we could move to permanency mm -hmm. through adoption perhaps. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of different reasons mm -hmm. that it goes longer. And you try for it to not be longer than a year? Yes. Okay, but sometimes it can be a good long time. It can be years. It could be a child would age out at 18 yeah. after entering at a young age. Yeah, yeah. Um, I know that foster children sometimes move around frequently. What are some of the reasons for that? Well, there could be a number of reasons, and it could be that um, the caregiver they're living with requested either because of the child's behaviors or interaction with other children in the home. Mm -hmm. It could be that the home is being investigated in for minimum standards or abuse and they have to move. It could be that um, the home closes on their own. Uh, a child could be court ordered in a different placement. So there's Often, it's not the fault of the child. Mm -hmm. It can be other entities. Mm -hmm. and, and many times when they're placed in a home, it could be that um, there's um, another home that opened that has a, a sibling, mm -hmm. and the goal is to try to reunite siblings mm -hmm. together, something yeah. like that. So then if that's the case, and they're like, well, then we're going to move them. So it could be just yeah. hate that or they may have found another relative or a fictive kin mm -hmm. kind of thing that says oh okay I'll take them and so then they mm -hmm. may move for that reason as well. Gotcha. So how do these kids usually do academically? I know there's some challenges that they come up against and then the moving around is, makes things difficult <clears throat> for continuity yes. and consistency. Well many of them truly struggle in school. Um, and statistics show that they are for, far less likely than their peers to graduate, more likely to be in school and out of school suspension for mm. disciplinary reasons. Um, there's higher representation in special education. And a lot of it, like you said, is because of instability, even after they come in the system sometimes. but. Many of them haven't had the nurturing to prepare them so that emotionally and socially uh, they're able to function very well in a structured situation of school. Mm -hmm. Or they, um, they haven't had any learning opportunities at all. And then the trauma piece, of course, affects their brain. We consider a child who has the effects of trauma um, to be in fight, flight, or freeze, and they, um, basically their brain is offline to learning while they try to deal with the other issues that they're facing. That's so interesting. Oh, go ahead. Well, an example I used to get when I would teach something, um, I'd have a group of people in a room, and I had a box on the table, and I said, okay, you all don't think about the box, and you know, back then I just said, hey, just don't worry about it even if there's a bomb in there. 
And then I started just talking. I started Don't rattling. Don't worry about it, even <laughs> if there's a thong in and there. And I just started yeah. talking, and then I paused, and I said, how many of them, How many of y'all were listening to me, or were you all mm. focused on the box? And they were like, we're focused on the box. And I said, that's like the children that have been through trauma. The teachers are there just talking, and they're saying, hey, you need to learn 2 plus 2. But their little brain is basically in survival mode. Mm-hmm. And, and it's kicked up, and that's what you're talking mm-hmm. about, the fight, flight, freeze, kind of submit thing. It's that I, I'm i frozen. It, you know, am I going to get hurt when I go home? Who's going to be there? You know, what's going to happen to me? Um, is, is mommy okay? Mm-hmm. I don't know. You know, where's my siblings? That's what they're doing. They're mm-hmm. trying to survive. Mm-hmm. And so, but we're asking them, hey, we need you to memorize this. We need you to do this. We need you to do that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is a great example. We had a neuroscientist on the show. I feel like I talk about her on every episode because I'm fascinated by brain science. But uh, she said that there are five centers in the brain that are responsible for memory. And when you worry, you are allocating several of those to um, the thing that you're worrying about versus to mm-hmm. learning and, um, you know, retention of information so that's you know when Mm. you've got a traumatic Mm -hmm. or you've had a traumatic experience then uh, most of those are probably going to be focused on those things instead of learning I mean Mm -hmm. when you feel like you're in danger your family's in danger that's really what's going to be top of mind and -hmm. and basically it's the you know how safe do they feel and if they're even though there may be chaos that was familiar to them but they at least knew mommy was there mm-hmm. and then when they're uprooted they don't know and so then so academically mm-hmm. it just, it's, it's it's very mm-hmm. challenging for right them. and also when you're moved around so much there's such a lack of consistency and there's you know the balls are getting dropped because you've got you know you're staying with one family at one moment and then maybe a, a facility at the next moment and who's paying attention I mean gosh I've got three kids and it's difficult for me to keep up with all the things that they deal with academically but when you're changing hands mm-hmm. and those people don't know each other it can be very difficult to keep up with this person needs to be doing this and whatnot mm-hmm. yeah. yeah Um. also why? So I've read something that said that children that are um, adopted from birth, um, they still experience some of those challenges. Would that be because of the trauma and maybe an attachment bond is severed? And mm-hmm. It could be because the first risk for trauma is in vitro. And, you know, whatever happens to the mother goes directly to the child, whether that's the intake of drugs, alcohol, Mm -hmm. or even emotional stress. Mm -hmm. The chemicals in the child in vitro are sometimes shifted and changed because of what they're exposed to. Mm -hmm. And so it's interesting even in vitro that happens. You know, and they're they're exposed to various things. And um, so if the mom is totally stressed, her cortisol shoots Mm -hmm. up. Mm -hmm. So guess what the babies get? Mm -hmm. A whole lot of that. So Mm -hmm. that causes a lot of stress. And um, basically, you know, there's consistency. Well, there should be some consistency in the womb and the fact that you have the heartbeat of the mom. Mm -hmm. And it should be pretty steady. Mm -hmm. But when we get upset, 
it becomes mm -hmm. irregular. Mm -hmm. So if you have a mom who is in constant stress, shooting out a lot of cortisol to the baby, irregularity, they've basically already had nine months of inconsistency and unpredictability. Oh, mm -hmm. gosh. And so then if there's drug exposure as well, mm -hmm. then mm -hmm. you know that also will not help the you know, development of the brain. So when they're born, they've already had nine months of stress and trauma and inconsistency mm -hmm. and a whole lot of cortisol. Mm -hmm. oh, that's fascinating. Wow. Nobody told me that. I probably would have tried to calm down a little bit more <laughs> when I was pregnant. <laughs> well, you know, hindsight's really good. Hindsight's yeah. pretty yeah. <laughs> That's why my kids are a little too wired. <laughs> um, so, so when students are placed in their home, they're not necessarily going to be placed in uh, near their home of residence. Mm -hmm. So in some cases, do kids tr do school districts allow for them to continue to stay at their school of origin? Yes, they do. And it's because of a federal uh, act. It's the Every Student Succeeds Act. Mm -hmm. In 2016, that act allows for any child in foster care uh, to remain in their school of origin if it's in their best interest. And that's both when they come into care or with each subsequent move while they're in care. Okay. And so how that works is best interest is a little tricky. There's not a specific formula, but it could be the distance, the age of the child. How would that commute affect them? Mm -hmm. um, are they really thriving at their school of origin? Mm -hmm. Are they connected? Do they have relationships? Or um, if, you know, sometimes kids don't want to stay at their school of origin. Mm -hmm. And so what happens is I happen to be the education specialist in Texas, happened to be the point of contact to set up this transportation that allows uh, children to remain in their school of origin. So school districts, what they will do is they generally uh, share the transportation. In, for instance, the school of origin, that school may uh, pick up in the morning and the school that the child is actually zoned for the district will do the afternoon transportation okay. but by law transportation cannot be a barrier for a child to remain in their school of origin okay so, but sometimes it's it's going to be an improvement Mm -hmm. um, for them to move to the school where mm -hmm. they are being fostered. Mm -hmm. Like, for instance, my father, he said that he moved to a completely different um, side of town yeah. and the school was better, the teachers were better, the students mm -hmm. were more determined, and that was actually what um, was the catalyst to mm -hmm. encourage him wow. to, to do better mm -hmm. um, because he had never seen this type of living. Wow. So who makes the decision, though, as to whether or not they're going to stay in their school or if they'll go to the, the school? Well, it, it should be a joint decision between the caseworker for the child, um, the school district, uh, and I get involved, too, uh, if the caseworker wants more definitive information about their school work. But it generally, schools don't always get involved, but it generally is made by the people. It could be a CASA, a, could be involved, or the ad litem for the child, the attorney. Mm -hmm. um, so it takes everyone, and ESSA has created questions to answer, you know, in order to determine best interests. So 
it could be a lot of different factors. So when a child is placed in your home, if you're a foster parent, what is the first thing you should do with the school? Besides enroll them? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That would be first, right? Yes. Well, just what I like to think of, do the same thing that you would do with your biological child. Mm -hmm. If you have a biological child. If you don't, you're probably new to school systems. Mm -hmm. But I would say, you know, beyond enrollment, then introduce yourself to the teacher or teachers. Let them know uh, your information uh, so that they can connect with you if they need to. Um, and just be involved. Just be sure you're tracking progress or lack of progress. Um, so that would be what I would say mm -hmm. is very important. Now you have to have records. So who is responsible? Who has the ability to obtain those kind of records? Education records. Mm -hmm. Well, that, okay, that would be the caseworker could. Uh, the CASA representative could. I could as an employee of my agency. Mm -hmm. um, and the school will automatically, if they're transferring within Texas, they will automatically request the records from the previous school mm -hmm. and they're electronically transferred. But I always recommend that if a child is moving, that whoever is picking them up, mm -hmm gets a transcript of that child's education from their current school when they withdraw them. So that when they start a new school, especially if they're in special education, then they will have the last documents related to their individual education plans. Okay, good. That is very good advice. Yeah. Because that's where a lot of people, yeah. you know, have issues because they do not have that last piece yeah. of paper from that school and that mm -hmm. little last piece of paper doesn't necessarily transfer with the child and no. that's where it causes mm -hmm. a lot of issues because then it's like well okay we'll enroll them but we don't know what they yeah. were in we don't know where they're and mm -hmm. that's where the hold up mm -hmm. is and the electronic transfer takes they estimate yes. seven to ten days there are breakdowns in that process as well, so it's not always reliable. Mm -hmm. Do they sometimes lose credits for courses that they've taken? Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. And it's, it, it, to me, that's one of the oh, disappointing things, especially when they're in high school and mm -hmm. they've been, they've moved and now they're moving again. And for them to, you know, lose a credit it's so discouraging to them and they may already be a little behind anyway. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. then they're saying, hey, I'm supposed to be in high school, but they only see yeah. that I have only eighth grade, you know, mm -hmm. don't put me back in middle school. And then they'll act, they'll want to act up because mm -hmm. they, they don't want that. Right. And then, so it's good if there's like, you know, mm -hmm. credit recovery programs and things like that. So, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes you said about picking schools. It may be, hey, that's one of the determining factors. Is this kid going to go into a place where there's a, an ability to have recovery credit kind mm -hmm. of type situations? Mm -hmm. I did want to say in relation to changing or staying in the school of origin, another consideration is are they involved in extracurricular activities mm -hmm. because of course they could still be involved wherever they are but the school is not going to provide transportation 
to and from events. And so you have to have a commitment from their placement or the ability. Otherwise, it's not going to help them to remain there, mm-hmm. you know, because they're out of the area. Right. So, and and when a, going along with credit loss, when a child is moved is critical, like in high school especially, you know, we always try to say, if there's any way possible, do not move them in the middle of a semester mm-hmm. or before the finals are given because you often run into... Yes, or the state test, because you often run into loss of credits then. Does the birth parent have to be involved in giving permission to release the records, or that's not an issue? Because I know that it can be a volatile situation sometimes. No. No, there are some situations where the judge uh, puts in the order what education rights the parent has, Mm -hmm. even after removal. I have seen very few of those Mm -hmm. situations. So you still wouldn't have to have authority for to get the records from them. Basically, once that um, an investigation happens and DFPS comes into play, they become basically the guardian, you know, of the, and it may be a temporary managing conservatory Mm -hmm. kind of situation. So they now have the guardianship of it. So then when they are placed, whether it's with um, a relative or things, you know, or a foster care, at that moment, it's kind of changing of the guard and the hands. They have it and then they will give um, power to whomever that legal guardian is. Mm -hmm. And they have paperwork, you know. Mm -hmm. There's an education piece of it and there's a medical consent Mm -hmm. form and they have those Mm -hmm. documents. So they have them and they keep them and I always see them mm-hmm. in binders. Yes, all of them. yes. They have a big binder. It's like it's mm-hmm. in my binder, mm-hmm. and so they basically take that with them to if they need to enroll because it has mm-hmm. you know the documents they need to mm-hmm. enroll them in school or you know see the doctor or whatever. Is there a limit to the number of kids that you can foster? Because I'm just thinking that all of these things can get a little bit confusing if you have. 10 foster kids or Hmm. well well I'm not familiar with all the rules anymore but I know they did make a limitation well there is a limitation and um, for in unless it's changed uh, for a regular foster home it would be six Mm -hmm. and they would also consider in that count any biological children in that home and then there's group homes which you could have up to 12 but they'll have multiple adults mm-hmm. handling the children mm-hmm. yes mm-hmm. I, you know no. and it, it, you know it's just based on how you know then those the rules of foster care which I am not the professional but it determines okay because your size at home and what you mm-hmm. have you will be able to take this many children mm-hmm. and the foster care families you know they have to be licensed and they have to go through that a lot of them will put preferences you know say well we would like children of this age. We would like children of this age. Mm-hmm. And so then mm-hmm. that's kind of how it's placed or that's determined. True. Yeah. And even the ages of children, there's a, <clears throat> if you look at the minimum standard rules, it talks about even though you can have six, you wouldn't necessarily have them all as infants. There's age, right. you know, different combinations. You'd probably go <laughs> crazy. That would not but be good. No, yeah, <laughs> probably not, but. You know, so anyway, 
that's there's a lot of factors in that. When you're adopting from another country, um, they may not have English as their first language. Do you guys have an opinion about um, choosing between a bilingual class, which is where they're going to speak Spanish and English, or whatever the the mm -hmm. native tongue is, and or an ESL class where their primary language would be English? Well, unfortunately, I don't have a answer. A lot of it depends on different factors, like how long have they been exposed to English. In the home they're in, do they speak English or do they speak their native language? Um, and schools have different opinions. And I've been involved in situations where it was a hard decision whether to do um, which. And I would say it's very individual. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's a regular thing that we could guide for an answer. Mm -hmm. Are there special services that are free and available through the state or through different organizations? I know that that would change based on what state you're in, but here in Texas, are there anything, um, any, is there anything that's provided that's free? For during K through 12? K or? through 12, yes. Okay. Um, not really so much educationally, like tutoring is a big challenge to find tutoring. Um, I hate to say I don't really, I'm not really aware of many resources. Uh, do they receive, is pre-K free um, for these students? Yes, the 80th legislature in Texas, now I don't know about other states, but they determined that any child who had ever been in conservatorship of the state even if they have returned home or been placed somewhere else or been adopted, they get free pre-kindergarten. There's a letter that education specialists can generate that they take to the school. That means they're automatically eligible because of risk, and that also means they don't look at the caregiver's income at all. Okay. The caregiver of the, the, uh, of the child. child or mm -hmm. the adopted parent. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yes. And do they get free and reduce free or reduced lunch as well? Autom automatically, any child in our care get that. Now, if they have been adopted, they're not necessarily going to get free lunches. Right. But if they're in care, it's on. It's in the paperwork in the placement paperwork that says you don't have to do anything further. You are eligible for meals, free meals at school. When is it helpful to disclose to administrators and teachers that the kids are, that your kid or your child that you're taking care of is fostered or adopted? Because I know that sometimes that can be kind of a, a stigma could be put on that and maybe the child, depending on their age, may not be super comfortable with that. Mm -hmm. When would be a reason that that's important to know? Well, I, I kind of go, I don't know, but I kind of go on the need to know basis. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. kind of, Mm -hmm. um, it. But um, just being in what I've seen, I do, just knowing what you've taught, Norma's also said about, yes, they do, a lot of them struggle academically, you mm -hmm. know. And so, yes, I would kind of be one of those, usually by then the school knows that, hey, you're a foster parent, so mm -hmm. they kind of know, oh, hey, you know, right. here we go. So mm -hmm. you don't really have to say, hey you know, mm -hmm. kind of thing, look at me. Um, <laughs> but, you know, one of the things, I, I I like what you said, Norma, and the fact that, yes, introduce the kid. Go to, <clears throat> you know, earlier if you can, before school, if it's, you know, before school starts. 
introduce your teacher, go to the teacher night, hey, this is your classroom, let it get familiar, saying, hey, this is, you know, you're going to have this, um, this is going to be your teacher, that kind of thing, walk them through the school. Um, so free services, it's kind of like, you know, also kind of thing of maybe that school. I, I found teachers are willing to do after school tutoring just because, hey, I'm going to do this because I want us to pass the t state test this year. Mm -hmm. So we're going to do math. And yes, come on in. You know, that kind of, that's what I know. I know there's some, uh, one particular agency that has a post-adoption kind of program and they will provide um, some reimbursement for tutoring mm -hmm. if they if they know. I do know that, um, but most of the time it's kind of like, hey, just this is what I am. They'll kind of rhyme it out. But if you do know on a previous school that the child was special ed, you know, they were already in it, you know, or hey, this kid's gonna qualify for 504 and I know it, then I would mm -hmm. be proactive. Mm -hmm. I would go in there and say, hey, mm -hmm. vice principal, I kind of know you're in charge of this area. Hey, diagnostician, so let's get something in writing if you're really concerned about mm -hmm. it, correct? Right. Maybe this is more your field. No, I, I would say so. And I, just exactly like you said, the need to know. Mm -hmm. Sometimes there's certain behaviors that children have that to keep that child safe and other children in the classroom it would be important to share not every detail but just some information that said hey we need a different level of supervision mm -hmm. whether it's in the cafeteria restroom playground just to keep everyone safe but you don't want to disclose details about the child mm -hmm. But I wanted to add, too, that talking about services, some high schools and certain uh, school districts want to identify foster children because they want to provide additional services for those kiddos. And it's a dilemma because, like you said, they don't really want to be stigmatized and identified. So they try to go around to people that work with them to say, we're having such and such, do you think your foster child would be involved. It might be talking about higher education. It might be talking about just things within the district that they could be involved in. Mm -hmm. So there are some. I wouldn't say every district has that. Mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. Along those lines, too, one of the things I was thinking about, too, is hopefully you'll kind of know the child that you're bringing into the school. And you're... You said talk about like you know some of the issues that they have. A lot of them, not every single one of them, but we all have sensory issues. All of us do, mm -hmm. you know. Um, some of them are a little bit stronger. So one of the things I've noticed is that the more stimuli certain children are around, it causes anxiety. Mm -hmm. It may cause depression. It may cause just a lack of um, ability to focus and concentrate. So knowing those, if you have a child that all of a sudden it may be, hey, teacher, <laughs> need to know basis. This is kind of a new setting for my child. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not sure exactly how he's going to do, you know, but I do know that when he does get anxious, he may have a tendency to da-da-da-da-da. Mm -hmm. And I just want to give you a heads up, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. and, and so then they'll know, and then it may be that we start, growling a team around <laughs> to say, mm -hmm. hey, what do we need to do for our child to make sure that they're safe and also mm -hmm. be able to 
function mm-hmm. within the classroom. Yeah, and, and you know, especially like we were talking about, if they've experienced some sort of trauma um, behaviorally, that can cause some issues. And you know, there's a buzzword now, trauma-informed learning. So schools are trying very hard to be sensitive to the traumatic experiences they have and informed about how that can impact academics and how that can um, impact uh, learning. And I know that some of this, uh, they can write into the 504 plans and the IEPs that they have. What are some of the accommodations that you've seen that are provided for kids that have experienced trauma or have anxiety and things like that? Well, there's a wide variety of things. One of the fairly uh, most common would be provide the child an area, a cool down area in the classroom or a certain teacher or go to the office when you're feeling overwhelmed. Um, but for that to work, you have to make that known to the child before an incident occurs so they know to remove themselves. That's one thing. Um, you know, frequent breaks, taking breaks from work, um, shortened assignments, um, you know, being sensitive to if the you see the child's at a point, they're not. it's not going to help for you to keep saying, just kind of like you did about learn this, add this, do this, do that. They're going to have to have some sensitive uh, treatment there. So those are some things. I'm trying to think. I'm sure I've forgotten others. Well, one is preferential seating, like sitting in close proximity to the teacher, things like that. Um, So it's very, it should always be very specific to that child and their needs. And a behavior intervention plans can be developed for behavioral issues so that everybody who has a part in educating that child at school is aware of the accommodations Mm -hmm. for that behavior. Mm -hmm. Is there a place that you can recommend, maybe online or a book or something, that would um, give parents some ideas? Because I know just in my own personal experience because I have I have two kids that have um, IEPs I've got one that's autistic so he's in special ed and um, sometimes when you come to the school they don't have they they don't have all the suggestions that maybe Mm -hmm. might be right for your child Mm -hmm. so it was helpful for me to see a list of what some of the options are so is there some place that they can go I wish I had a better idea of a resource for that. One thing I would say, all parents who have children with special needs or anticipate the possibility, they should become very familiar with IDEA, the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, because that's the law that drives special education. And that would be a resource. Or there's another resource called Rights Law, and that's W-R-I-G-H-T-S. And that, I think there would be information. There's publications and resources for that as well. Um, But as far as just a book uh, with options and specifics, I don't know, except if a parent could get training uh, from a person that teaches about IEPs, there are resources in different areas, people who do training, that might give you an idea of the top 10 questions to ask during an IEP. Mm-hmm. Um, what looks like an effective plan? So that would just have to be sought out 
in whatever area you live in mm -hmm. to look for somebody who does that training. And you might in Texas you might contact TEA, the education agency. Okay. What mental health services are are available to these students? There's a variety of services. Um, my agency, we do uh, provide um, behavioral interventions for the child. We go into the home and um, children who um, are in foster care, those parents are just busy, busy, busy mm -hmm. and they have to meet all the mandates and laws and mm -hmm. things like that. So there's a lot of people that are coming into their lives. You know, you have to have the meetings with the CASA worker, the caseworker, you know, this and that. And so, um, so we'll go if there's any behavioral issues like externalizing ones and we help with sensory kind of things and we'll provide some activities and different ways to cope that they can not only do in the home but also in the school mm -hmm. that can help that will help regulate them mm -hmm. um, so anyway we, we can do that but there's also therapy um, that can be provided um, sometimes if needed there's other services so like, um, if you think okay yeah they're having more sensory issues than just, you know, this other child, and it's in the different areas, then you may can go to your primary care physician and, and say, hey, listen, I'm concerned. Can we get an evaluation for sensory, OT sensory kind of issues, or maybe there's speech issues, things mm -hmm. like that. You can do that, and the usually the primary care physician, you just need a medical, you know, signature and most of them know how to do that and you can there's different agencies out there that can come in and do an evaluation and they say yeah they qualify for speech they qualify for occupational therapy to deal with sensory or just regular occupational they can do that mm -hmm. um, the school also can do that if they're mm -hmm. in the special ed if they say hey there's a need Mm -hmm. they can also do that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, because we mentioned that there can sometimes be a loss of records, um, you should know that you, as a parent, a foster parent, an adoptive parent, you always have a right to ask your school to test your child to see if there are any kind of issues, and they will do that free of cost. Yes. Mm -hmm. You do have to ask, and my, <coughs> okay, you may have a different answer, uh -huh. number, but what I have found Putting it in writing. Yes, mm -hmm. definitely. Helps it, helps it because they do. Now there's a time frame. Yeah, there is a mm -hmm. time frame. And so, but if you put it in writing and there's a date on it, then you can kind of um, kind of hold them to it mm -hmm. a little bit and say, hey, remember. Mm -hmm. And it is, isn't it business days, though? It's and school day. Yeah, yeah, business school or school days. So it's 45 days to complete evaluations. Yes. So, like, if you have a week off at Christmas, yeah. you know, that you have to take that mm -hmm. into consideration as well. Mm -hmm. It's 40, so that's counted into the, no, no okay, it's so. it's not, so if right. they're out of school for that week, you can't count those days. Okay, right. gotcha, so. yeah. Um, and it does have to be education related. That is something that should be noted. Um, mm -hmm. if, it's, if it's something that is an issue at home, the school district is not concerned about it. It needs to be um, impacting their academics at school. They're academics, yes, and it could be that it's a learning disability or an intellectual disability, or it could be something like an emotional disturbance that, although they're very smart, IQ-wise, that that's interfering with their learning. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. 
every part of that. Yeah, it's a lot of times that has to do if there's too much stimuli in a classroom. Mm -hmm. That's the the ladder mm -hmm. that she's talking about. Mm -hmm. That they may be able to make accommodations for mm -hmm. that. Yeah. Regarding the, the services, the behavioral services that uh, that come to the home and as well as therapy, who pays for that? Is that a state paid for? The insurance, yeah. Okay. So oh, insurance state. is provided. Oh, it goes yes. with the student? Yeah, when the fa yeah when, immediately when they go into foster care in the state of Texas, I don't know about anywhere else, mm -hmm. they, they go into a Medicaid program. Ours is called Superior in the state of Texas. Mm -hmm. And so they receive that type of Medicaid. Okay. Um, so, um, so then if, it, you know, providers, you know, are able to provide for Medicaid, then they can get certain services, so. And do you keep that when you're adopted? Well, it depends. <laughs> <laughs> There's yeah. a lot of mm -hmm. stipulations, and I don't know all the I don't legal and ramifications mm -hmm. of it, but it sometimes, yes, if it may be part of the you know, hey, this is kind of the deal we have. It depends on the age of when the child is adopted. That mm -hmm. also doesn't, mm -hmm. but many times um, it may go private insurance, but they also, okay, so once they can get adopted, at that moment or the end of that month, whatever month they're adopted, um, then the foster care insurance, which is the superior in the state of Texas, will terminate mm -hmm. at the end of the month. Then they automatically go to what you call traditional Medicaid. And then I don't know the whole rules, like 30 to 60 days, but then they have a chance. They say, hey, you have a chance to pick what type of Medicaid you want if they qualify. Mm -hmm. So there's different types of mm -hmm. Medicaid. And at that point, that's when they will pick one of them, they go through Maximus Health, the kind of thing, and mm -hmm. they um, pick one. And then it, it takes usually 30 to 60 days, but once they pick, then they get the cards in the mail, and then mm -hmm. um, services can um, start up if they take that type of Medicaid. Mm -hmm. So there's different, Aetna, Marigroup, Medicaid, you know, Cook's Medicaid, you know, different ones. Mm -hmm. What kind of financial support for education is, is and this can be beyond 12th grade, beyond their senior year, for college, what kind of financial support is available to them? Well, primarily, and this is related to Texas, and Texas, any youth who ages out uh, from foster care gets free tuition and fees at any public Institute of Higher Learning. That could be a college, a university, it could be a vocational school for their lifetime. Wow. As long as they take one course before they turn 25, then that's locked in. If they want to go back to school, however many times that fees and are going to, tuition are going to be waived for them. That's amazing. And there are, and I'm not an expert on this, but there are circumstances for a child who leaves care prior to aging out. There's certain dates and ages and when they're adopted, they might too qualify for that. Mm -hmm. It's rather complex. Mm -hmm. And there's also federal programs like the education training voucher that youth are eligible for. There's a yearly limit and they um, can use it for room and board, for transportation, for utilities. You know, so there are a number of 
of things. And in Texas, some universities provide free room and board for foster youth. Mm -hmm. So. I imagine in other states there's grants and scholarships and other things mm -hmm. that they can take advantage of. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And foster youth on their FAFSA form should always check that they've been a ward of the state or however that question is answered because then they will get full benefit of uh, grants. The Pell Grant. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. You mentioned a little bit about the transition to adulthood. What is done when you age out of the foster system? Well, <laughs> and you're not adopted. Right. There's there's a number of things. First of all, there is extended foster care past 18 that children can stay in foster care or youths, I should say. And this is terrible. I should know this. I think until their 23rd birthday, yeah, 22nd birthday yeah. through 22. <laughs> so they can stay in the system live in a foster home or we have something called supervised independent living that provides different levels of supervision for these youth. It could be they live in an apartment with other youth, it could be they have their own apartment, whatever level of supervision. Some live more independently than others, mm -hmm. but the program looks at how the child is doing, their responsibility level, and this helps them not be fully of the, on their own. They have a safety net. They're given an amount of money per month to cover their expenses. They have to get themselves up for school. If they're going to school or work, they're not going to have somebody that's going to wake them up. So it's helping them transition better into adulthood. Mm -hmm. But not every youth goes into transition. Mm -hmm. And there's many sad situations where they leave uh, thinking they can handle it all. There are options to come back to foster care if you leave. You have to be accepted back in. Um, and there's organizations in the community like uh, the acronym is called TRAC. It provides services for youth as they age out. Mm -hmm. That's just in our area. I know that we're speaking to a broader audience, but I believe probably most areas would have something like that. Oh, one more thing. In trying to prepare them, and it's not perfect or ideal, but from the time a child or youth is about 15, our agency has an annual meeting called a Circle of Support that brings together all the professionals working with the child. If they, it's, it's youth driven, so they have to invite the parties. You can't just show up. The youth has to say yes. It just talks about their hopes and dreams, their fears, what their plans are. You're trying to kind of nail down a more concrete plan before they age out. Right. If you want to become a foster parent or adoptive parent, where would you recommend that we start? Well, I would just do research, and I would just ask people. There's um, a lot of churches nowadays that um, support and, you know, basically want, it's called fostering, so that might be a good place to uh, start, but just kind of basically researching and just finding different websites and different foster care agencies, mm -hmm. and, and it's like, hey, I want to I wanna foster, and just kind of what does it look like? And then pretty much most agencies will have um, a go-to person, like a website and a person you can contact 
and gather information about that particular agency's foster care program mm -hmm. and what it looks like and mm -hmm. what does it entail. Mm -hmm. And there are inquiry meetings that uh, residential licensing in Texas offer mm -hmm. uh, for people who have an interest in fostering or adopting or even starting their own agency can attend to gather more information also. Mm -hmm. And also, you know, I love that you mentioned church because um, there, at least the church that I used to go to, they would have a um, um, a spotlight on mm -hmm. um, agencies and whatnot for because what is the um, the month that celebrates adoption and fostering? November. November. Okay, so during that month we would have somebody come in and talk, and mm -hmm. that's a great opportunity to talk to other foster parents or other mm -hmm. parents who have adopted and just kind of find out what their experience is and kind of what you're in for and um, how you can prepare your your mm -hmm. mind and, and your other kids because sometimes. There are other kids in the home, and that can, you know, sometimes mm -hmm. be a bumpy transition. Oh, yeah. Bringing in new kids into the house when there's already kids there. Well, um, what, uh, one last question, real quick. What would you say would be in advocating for your child? What would be the two, one or two most important things that you need to to do to advocate for them to get the services and all of the the things that they need to succeed academically? Well, I would say um, to make yourself familiar with the law, like I said, with for, related to special education or even there's response to intervention that often occurs prior to going to special education. Try to learn as much as you can about those programs so that when you approach a school, you have an idea of what you're asking for mm -hmm. and you kind of know how to ask it mm -hmm. and also rely on the resources that are available to you like any child within CPS they their parents CASA therapists have access to me for instance in my region to assist because it's very difficult to navigate school systems yes. unless you're very familiar they use acronyms terminology that and you feel rather intimidated. Mm -hmm. So you need to get someone to assist you, at least help you go in the right direction. Mm -hmm. Is there uh, a person with your your job at every, um, in every, um, not district? Is there? No, no, in every region. region CPS has regions. Mm -hmm. In my region, there are two of us. One is vacant, but I cover um, Fort Worth, Tarrant County and Western Outlying, I have 10 counties that I cover. Most regions of the state only have one education specialist for their whole region. Here, because of the populated area, Dallas and Eastern Outlying has one also. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, and what kind of questions would I be calling you and emailing you to ask okay. specifically? Often it's the school is calling me every day to come pick up the child. They don't seem to understand how to address the issues. There hasn't been any movement toward evaluation, uh, things like that. Um, we just don't believe that another one would be that even if they have a plan in place under special ed, that it's really effective. Mm -hmm. And we need help because the environment at school the child is, is in is not helping the child. Mm -hmm. Things like that. I get invited to the ARD meetings for special ed. I get invited to try to establish 
something with the school where the status of these things are. Mm-hmm. Um, records request I get called about, trying to put together all the pieces from where a child has gone to school, especially in high school, so I can reach out and caseworkers can do that too mm-hmm. and ask for records. Um, I also am trained and do trauma-informed classroom training um, for any school that would be interested. I've, I've done it at different schools to try to help them create an atmosphere yes. to address all the things. But also for parents, for foster parents, I can do it for foster agencies. I mean, I can do it wherever there's an opportunity just so to help them understand how to help the school mm-hmm. help the child. Mm-hmm. Any last words of wisdom for parents in these situations? Well, along those lines, um, I would basically, um, to be an advocate, have the passion for that child and know that mm-hmm. um, you've now become the voice for that child. Mm-hmm. The child, mm-hmm. ev- pretty much every decision's been made for them mm-hmm. and they don't. So listen to them, be able yeah. to get to know the children you know get to know the teachers at the school and I'm going to tell you if you're willing to help and you're communicating with them and saying hey and they see that you're really trying the school will yeah. help you too yeah absolutely so true well, thank you ladies we mm-hmm. are all out of time but this has been a wonderful discussion mm-hmm. thank you guys so much for all of your input thank you, thank you. School Days is sponsored by Noggin Educational Foundation, so we always want to let you guys know what's happening with Noggin. Our mission is to help close the achievement gap for economically disadvantaged children by improving educational opportunities for students, supporting families, and encouraging excellence and innovation in the classroom. School Days is part of a commitment to support families by providing access to experts that offer information and resources regarding all topics that impact education. So if you love this program, please consider donating to Noggin. You can do so by heading to our website, website, schooldazedshow.com. Next week, we'll sit down with one of our own, host of All About STEM on the Fishbowl Radio Network, Dr. Mary Payton. She's a retired Army chemical officer and a STEM educator and will share with us how to spark a love for science, technology, engineering, and math in your kids. So don't forget to share that with your parent friends. As always, head to our website, schooldazedshow.com for more information about all the resources that we mentioned on the School Day Show. And remember, you don't ever have to miss a show. Find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, and pretty much anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Noggin Foundation. That's N-O-G-G-I-N. And last but not least, we always want to end our show by saying that David and I are parenting by grace. We depend on God to give us the wisdom and strength that we need to raise our kids into flourishing adults. And if you'd like to know more about that, please feel free to email me at info at schooldazedshow.com. Have a great week. School Dazed is sponsored by Noggin Educational Foundation. At Noggin, we provide free educational resources to students from low-income families and support to their parents like the preceding broadcast. School Days is made possible by the generosity of listeners just like you. Please consider donating to Noggin at Noggin, N-O-G-G-I-N, foundation.org.